Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what it's like to work in marketing research and analytics, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is a vice president of research and insights at NYC and Company, the city of New York's official tourist agency. But before I introduce you to Jonathan Tesser, who is also one of my favorite content creators to follow on LinkedIn. I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that features career advice and job-seeking tips, as well as unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals like John who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Jonathan Tesser, a VP of Research and Insights at NYC & Co., as well as the principal of John Tesser LLC, who self-identifies as the career whisperer for confused young people. But for the last two decades, John's day job has actually been in marketing, specifically in marketing analytics, looking into audience analysis and number crunching. And he's had at least 10 jobs in nine different companies over the years. And we're going to be unpacking quite a lot of that in a whole lot more. By the way, if you want to learn how to break into digital marketing, Check out show notes for this episode to see if John's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. John, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am, Andrea. Let's do it. Phew. All right. Yeah, well, I, I know. Clap. What? You got a clap? I just, I just gave you a clap. That means we're ready to go. Nice. Let's as long as you're not giving me a clap back. I'm fine. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I have a no harm policy for other folks. I think that's probably how I built up an audience. On <laughs> and, and it is the right philosophy to have, my mm. friend, for sure. I am so excited to have this opportunity, John, because as I alluded to, I've been following you on LinkedIn for quite some time now. And I love the distinct point of view that you have. I love the no BS way that you approach your posting. I find them refreshing to read. And I want to get into that side hustle as the career whisperer a little mm -hmm. bit later in this interview, 
because mm-hmm. that is what you post about. Mm-hmm. But first, let's dive into what you are doing now as the vice president of research and insights at NYC and company. What does that title mean and what do you do? Great question. So first off, um, as you said, uh, NYC and company is the official tourism bureau for New York City, right? So that means that our job is to promote New York City as a destination for visitors who come to the city, right? So that being said, my job and my department, we're called the research unit because we all kind of work together as, a, as an organism. There's three of us and, and a bunch of uh, interns and volunteers. But what we're mainly responsible for, and notice how I say we, because we all take on different aspects of this, is one, we take a temperature pulse of tourism activity in, in New York City. So we release every month what we call the barometer, right? And that helps us understand how's tourism doing in New York City right now? And there's a lot of different inputs that go into that. We have to understand, are people staying in hotels and at what rates, right? And how much are they spending per night at a hotel? So all this hotel information helps us understand, okay, how are we doing? We use that as the main sort of way of understanding tourism activity. Then, you know, obviously airports and airline information and flights and, you know, are people booking flights and are they arriving as often as they have in the past? And this kind of information about airport and airline visitation. And then we move into spending. We have individual spending, both domestic, meaning I live here in the US. So people from the US visiting New York City, as well as international visitation coming from outside the US. How are they, what are they spending money on? And how is that changing over time? We have access to visa data, credit card data that gives us that information. And then one of the really exciting pieces that we've added on in terms of how we're measuring this is mobile location data. Probably like, what is that? Yeah. So we can actually, when you have your cell phone, and I hope this doesn't freak people out who are listening to this, if you've agreed with an app, right, to say, okay, we can track where I am. We work with a company that collects that data. Now, not obviously on an individual level, we don't know who you are, but we do know where you're walking around. And so that helps us understand where are people going once they're in New York City? What are they doing? So all of that is information that goes into this barometer thing. The other aspect of what we do is we try and understand as much as possible about the identity of the visitor who comes here, right? So what is a German tourist like, right? We answer that kind of question. You have a whole bunch of data that that goes into answering that. And we do a lot of survey collection and analysis around these different segments of visitors to understand what drives them so that we can market better than them. I'd say those are really the two sides of of what we do. Obviously, there's a lot more. Um, It's a very sort of startup-y kind of role within a larger sort of more developed organization. Can you give us an example of how some of this research and data analytics has affected the way that NYC and Co. maybe shows up on its website? I think maybe the better question to answer, not necessarily about internal actions that are taken, we're more effective. We're a membership-based organization. So 
the reason we come up with this information and help out, and what I mean by membership is if you're a hotel or a restaurant or an attraction, right? You're a member, we're a trade organization and you sign up for regular dues. And one of the main expectations out of those dues is to understand the numbers behind the city, right? So we're most effective as a department when we're sharing that information with our external constituency, which is the membership, and helping them figure out their strategic planning or like giving them the pulse because they got to go, you know, got a CMO and they got to go talk to a CEO of their company. They're like, we need some data. Come on, come on, come on. We're very effective at delivering that outside of the organization. Internally, since I'm a very honest person, uh, we haven't always been very effective at communicating this kind of information to our marketing team so that they can implement it in areas like a website or a marketing camp. Got it. Fair enough. And just very quickly, John, can you take us into a typical day for you on the job? As I said, we're doing this interview, or maybe I said it earlier in our Espresso Shots episode, but we're doing this interview at the end of August 2021. And obviously, the pandemic is still around and the Delta variant and whatnot. You're working from home. What does a typical day look like for you? Sure. A lot of my days is looking at this kind of data and trying to decipher what's going on, right? So it's it's the insight creation that comes out of this and the storytelling that follows, right? So for instance, looking at the hotel data, what is this telling us? What, what kind of signals are we getting around what is tourism going to look like in the next couple of months? And then communicating that information to senior management. Reviewing survey data, particularly like, you know, we know we have a new... This is a great example. We have a new vaccine mandate in New York City, which means that if you want to go indoors to a hotel, attraction, museum, etc., you have to show proof that you've been vaccinated. So we're doing research on the ground to collect information about what do people feel or think about that. And then again, relaying that information internally, primarily, and, and some externally to the mayor's office in New York City. It's kind of fun. We're, we're super important, right? Where we're giving information directly to the mayor of New York, relaying that information about you know what people think about the vaccine mandate. So it's a, it's a lot of interpreting data, both from the data that we collect, as well as from other sources, you know, secondary sources like trade magazines and things like that, and putting together this, this story of, of what's going on. Got it. How did you get into the analytical side of marketing? And how important is it to our young listeners, John, who think that they may be interested in marketing, that they understand the analytical part of it? It's an interesting question. For me, I came out of MBA school and got right into web analytics, which is the measurement of website activity and visitors to a website. And being able to interpret that data and turn it into a story has sort of been the thing that I've done my whole life. So that's how I really got into it because I was like, oh, you know what? I've always been really interested in psychology and why people do what they do. But I've never really been able to tell you exactly, do I have something to back this up with? Not really. Oh, wow. There's this thing, web analytics, we collect data on people visiting a website. I know about people now. That was a very, very exciting moment for me. And and I turned that into a career. That's how I got into the analytical side. But it came from being steeped in social sciences 
and, and psychological theories and, and, you know, understanding experimentation, all of that, but having those numbers to back up, you know, the theory and sort of the gut instincts, that's how I got into the field. How important is it? I think it's imperative. I think it's a huge advantage for young folks who want to get into digital marketing to understand that numbers are a big part of it. Right. I think a lot of people who go into marketing are like, I'm creative. I hate numbers. Right. You'll, you'll hear that a lot. And I'm like, you're going to be limited if that's the case, because numbers, when you use them, first of all, executives love numbers. That's something to keep in mind. They want to see that you can back up what you're saying. A lot of executives with some sort of data because that's how executives think their bottom line. Right. And if you don't have the data, you're going to be like, well, I just feel this way. And they're going to be like, not good enough. Bye. Right? They don't have time for you. So being a marketer who's armed with data is going to set you apart, right? Even if you're on the creative side. That's the problem I have. I'm sorry, I'm going to go into a diatribe for a second. One of the problems I have with people, with young folks going into marketing is that they're either 100% devoted on data or 100% devoted on creative. But... Both of these sides need to balance themselves out right in the middle with some sort of analysis and understanding of data on the business end, right? That's what we're missing from young folks now. They think they just need technical skills, just need creative skills. They don't realize that this thing in the middle is business skills that you get from looking at data. That's what we're missing in in a lot of the entry-level folks that are coming at us. So... If any of our young listeners now are still in school, John, what kind of numbers-related courses should they be looking to get? What's the kind of skill set that they need to have? I know you can't necessarily say the title of the course is blank, but what is the type of software or hard skill that they need to have learned? First of all, I think... You know, I'm saying this and I'm a bit of a hypocrite because I don't know how to do it. But I think that some sort of data processing skills like SQL, right, SQL, knowing how to program in SQL, I think is, is, is a baseline for a lot of companies because you have to be able to take raw data and turn it into something that's usable. So whether that's SQL or Python, even just knowing a little bit of the language and learning how to do this as an entry-level person... That's table stakes. You're going to have to know that. Again, I am a hypocrite. I don't know how to do it, but I'm also an executive. So I hire people who do so that I can do the things that I do well, which is hopefully it's coming across here, communicate ideas effectively, work with stakeholders, um, manage teams, right? That, that's my job. If so, so knowing that also Tableau or Power BI, these are data visualization tools. Those are becoming more and more important. Almost every single data analytics role is requiring some sort of level of Tableau. It's something you can teach yourself. Most colleges allow you to use Tableau for free. Amazing, amazing thing, right? So you can go and play around with it on your own. Don't necessarily need a course. If you want to get into the field, two courses or things that I would recommend, either get an internship in digital marketing, right? So that you learn the skills on the job. Or if you can take a digital marketing class, just so you're introduced to a lot of the concepts around media buying, media planning, you know, campaigns, all of these kinds of things that you don't know unless you know. <laughs> That's that kind of tangible course is is helpful for you because a lot of the stuff can seem really foreign. 
right? SEO, SEM, PPC, right? CPM, we're throwing on all these terms. And you have to know these terms if you're going to work in the field. And how you learn those terms, that's up to you. That is awesome advice. Let's flash back really quickly to when you were in school. You went to Tufts University and you majored in psychology and music. Hmm. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree, John, when you graduated? It's a great question. I had absolutely zero idea, which is why I find it very, I want to say disconcerting how stressed out these kids are about their careers. And, and I get a lot of flack on LinkedIn for saying this, but I'm going to double down right now. You know, I graduated, the, the Twin Towers had fallen in New York City, the job market was dead. And, you know, here I am, a graduate of, you know, essentially an elite institution, almost Ivy League school. No idea what I'm doing and didn't really care too much, to be honest. And I'm like, all right, I just need to get a job. So I'm like, oh, why don't I try and work in music? You know, I'm talking to music executives. It's like, no, it didn't work out. I'm like, okay, how did I land my first job? I had a friend who was working somewhere. She introduced me to a friend. I introduced the boss. And then I got oh, landed at a digital agency. Okay. Right? Like, no idea what I was going to do. No idea, understanding of what psychology could be used for. You know, oh, I love music. Got to make that a career. Right? Well, it didn't necessarily work out that way. So I was completely clueless. You guys can see... 20 years down the road after this, I've had a very long, successful career. You're all stressing out because you just want that certainty. You don't need it. And in fact, I like the students who say, I don't know what I'm going to do more than the students who say, I know what I'm going to do. Because not knowing is a superpower in and of itself. Oh my goodness. I so love that because at least I would go on to say, especially those young people who think they want to go into finance and say they want to go work on Wall Street and whatnot, more often than not, they're driven by the dollars. And those who are saying, I don't see my, I don't want to do that type of job, but I don't know what else I want to do, I think are going to land in a much better place in the longer run. Living with that uncomfortableness of not having made a decision early on is going to serve them well. I could not agree more with that. Having the open mind and sitting with ambiguity rather than listening to what your career center has to say, listening to what your parents have to say, following along with the fact that your peers may have gotten a Bank of America internship has nothing to do with you. None of those things. You are a unique individual and what you want to do is based on you and your unique characteristics of being, not necessarily like what people are telling you because they're not necessarily looking out for you. They're looking out for them and they want to alleviate their own concerns and their own worries and their own anxieties about who you are and the reflection that you are of them, not about you. That's a hard truth for these young people to take and most of them who are listening to this are going to be like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. But trust it, this guy over here, if you are not looking out for you and paying attention to them, you are going to regret it. Boom. Boom. That is it. Because, and John and I were chatting before we started this interview, both of us talk on LinkedIn about the fact that we have been in therapy, we've gotten into 
getting to know ourselves a lot better. And we have enough information, at least I do, to be dangerous. John actually has a degree in psychology. And we can tell you that a lot of what is coming at you, especially from those who love you, namely your parents, is often tied up in their own anxiety. That's correct. And so if you can shut that down lovingly, and tune into your gut and start getting into your own interests and what light you up. That's where to start. And I know John does that. Mm, that's exactly what I do for a list. That's exactly what I do for my side hustle. It's exactly it. <laughs> you could not have said it any better. It, I help you get in touch with your gut, with your instincts, with yourself your deeper self. And I guide you into yourself because you've probably never done that with someone else. You know, you may have tried to do it on your own, but I'm pretty, pretty insistent that you're not going to be able to. And so you need a guide who's going to walk you through yourself and your unique you to help you land in the place where you need to land. And again, I'm perfect to work with. I'm a stranger, right? I've got nothing in this game except to help you figure out your you. I'm not your parents. I don't have any anxiety or expectation and you need to get a job. I'm going to be that impartial observer who's just guiding you to that next step of what should I do. And, you know, whether you work with me or Andrea or someone else, whether you can work with your career center at this, because a lot of career centers claim that they do this. So if you work with them to find out yourself, right, you have to do it. Whether you do it now or whether you do it, you know, in in your mid-20s, that self-assessment and understanding and self-awareness of who you are is a primary driver of your career success. I, you know, I can't emphasize it anymore. And I'm going to add the word happiness to that because just because you're quote unquote successful You got the job at the big company, the big name company with the big title Mm -hmm. does not mean you're going to be happy. And what John is talking about is going to help you identify what is going to make you happy in the short term. And as life unfolds, if you keep using that as your North Star, you will continue to be happier in your professional life. That's correct. John, I want to just quickly kind of tick through your career. You Mm -hmm. mentioned that first job at MediaVest that you got from a buddy, a recommendation. Mm -hmm. You were a broadcast assistant there. You spent Mm -hmm. a year there. You then Mm -hmm. moved into being a media planner at Mm -hmm. Heineken. You spent a year there. And then you actually took a job at your current company, but this was way back when (laughs) at NYC and company. Yeah. You worked there earlier in your career for about two and a half years as a manager of performance analysis and research. Mm -hmm. How did you get that job? And how did you learn performance analysis and research on the job? Because that was before you went to grad school. Yeah. Good question. So I've been following around my current boss for a long time. So I met her when I was 19 and needed an internship and she was working in market research. And I'm like, great, I need an internship. And so there we go. 
19. And then at the age of 20, I guess it was 24 or something like that. She calls me up. She's like, you need a job? Like I got this and some more pay. And I was like, okay, great. And that's how I ended up there. And then fast forward, I, like you said, took about eight other jobs and got an MBA. In between that, I landed at the same organization in a very different role. How did I learn performance analysis? Uh, it wasn't hard. It's like, you know, I think this is an important point to for a lot of young folks. You'll learn stuff on the job. Jobs are not rocket science. They're not hard. Your class is an undergrad, and I made a post about this recently. Uh, your 101 class is probably going to be a lot more difficult than anything you're going to do on the job. So you learn, right? And, and that's exactly what I did. You pick up the technical skill and, and you know, the harder part, as I've been emphasizing in these conversations I'm having with you, Andrea, is, is the people part. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a very difficult transition. <clears throat> great, great. And I know just because I've listened to another podcast interview that you've given that you talk a lot about the importance of maintaining the relationships that you get, oh, whether wow, it's through yes. an internship or your first few jobs. All of these relationships matter. And that is how you got that job because the woman knew you at That's NYC right. and company. It's so funny. I mean, even now I'm just thinking about, I just took on a, a contract role, right? To provide analytics consulting services for a company called The Shade Room, which is the number one premier media outlet for African-Americans in the US um, in terms of audience. And so I had a friend at BET that's where I used to work. And he moved over to the shade room. He's heading up analytics. He's the first person he calls. I know John. We've stayed in touch. He's my guy. We work together at BT, And I'm going to hire him for this consulting. That, students hate this. They hate hearing this. Right? They hate it. God, it's nepotism. Oh, God. But come on, guys. This is how the world works. Okay? Who you know is, is all that matters and then your reputation with those people and, and what they think of you and your work, that's going to carry you to career success as long as you have the job I'm about to take. I've been in touch with a recruiter for a long time. You know, we talked and she's a fan of mine on LinkedIn and I think she's a wonderful person. She DMs me out of the middle of nowhere and says, John, you know anybody good for this role? I looked at the role. I'm like, oh, this sounds really interesting. I'm like, I'll, I'll throw my hat into the ring. And here I am taking a new job, right? So these, this is, and that was a long-term relationship. I've known Mindy for, I don't know, 10, 15 years at this point, right? That's how this works. You maintain these relationships with your coworkers, recruiters, with bosses. You check in, you talk, you help them out. They help you out. You go out for lunch, go out for coffee. You never lose these relationships. And it is why every single professional out there will say to you, never burn a bridge because these are small industries. And if you burn a bridge with a certain person, I can almost guarantee you, you're going to run into them again. So it's another reason why my do no harm to others policy is so important, right? Because I understand that I can never burn a bridge. I know people hate me, and that's fine. But I'm not going to make them hate, right? So that that's that's how this works. Such an important lesson. And P.S. Out of like the ten jobs that John has had, we probably need to add the eleventh because of the new job. He's only applied to one job through a website. 
Most right. came from networking and friends. That's so right. I've got two final questions for you, John. And I try to ask all my guests these questions. Could you share a time in your professional life when you struggled? Maybe you even failed. And it is less yeah. about the failure and more mm-hmm. about how you recovered, how you persevered. Oh. And if there was a lesson that you learned in the process. Great, great question. I was laid off three times in a period of five years. That shattered my worldview of jobs and work. I went from somebody who believed that organizations cared for me, that my identity was my job, right? That, that I'm tied up with what I do. And that was all shattered because of the fact that I was literally discarded from three organizations without a care in the world, right? They just didn't care. They're like, you're gone, right? It's like a metaphorical death. Right? It's true. And that's what a layoff is. And it was at that point where I'm like, oh my God, I am, I'm an entrepreneur no matter what. No matter if I'm working at a company or if I have my own job, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a, I'm a business of one. I have this personal brand that I have to make very clear what my value is as a person and, and as a worker. And I have to elicit that personal brand no matter what I do. Because at any given time, a job can go away. It is fleeting. And that has served me very well. That's the lesson that I've learned. Clearly, I've also learned a lot of other stuff. Otherwise, I wouldn't be posting on LinkedIn. Very much devoted, more spiritual. But questions of who am I? What is my identity? These are the things that come out of these traumatic experiences that teach you life lessons beyond work, right? How do you deal with the anxiety that goes with not having a job, right? How do you, like, how do you handle adversity? And how are you going to be resilient? All of these kind of things teach you the life lessons and the wisdom that I think people look up to me for on LinkedIn. If I didn't have those experiences being laid off three times in five years, I don't think I would be as good a person as I am. Is that what moved you into LinkedIn and started the posting that you do now on a <laughs> daily basis? Um, <laughs> it's an interesting question. I was always interested in mentoring young folk for a while before I was on LinkedIn. So I would work with career centers, and, you know, where I went to school, Baruch, the talks, and I would mentor students. The whole LinkedIn thing started by accident. I just like, you know, I had so many students in my network at the time. I was just getting so irritated by all their, look how great I am. Congratulate me. I graduated top and down. Wow. And everybody's like, congratulations. This is so annoying to me. I just went out with a rant post and I was like, enough of you. Enough about you. Stopping system. Help some other people out, lift them up, stop showing off about yourself. The post went viral, you know, 1.7 million views. And I was like, all right, off to the races. I was like, I'm, let's keep going with this young professional advice thing. Seems to be working for me. And that's, that's how I got to where I am today. And how long ago was that first rant post? About a year and a half. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Final question, John. If you could go back to college, back to Tufts, and do it all over again, but based on the incredible wisdom you have right now, what advice would you give yourself? Focus on technical skills. Uh, learn how to do data analysis and, and sort of the data processing and stuff. Some, some of the stuff we talked about in a previous interview that we went on. I would be more technical and, and I would make sure to know those technical skills, right? Secondly, 
I would spend time getting to know people who are older than me. And that's an important thing, right? College students in the US, I do not see this around the world. I see it mostly in the US, talk to other college students in the US. They do not talk to other professionals. They only think that they should talk to professionals if they're going to get a job at it. And that's it. That's the reality, right? That's what networking is to American students. And I don't blame them for that. They're taught that by the career center. But I would, if I could do school all over again, I would spend more time getting to know people who are older than me, more wise, have more things to say, more different, right? And focus on understanding the world at a younger age than I did, right? I was, I was your typical American sheltered student, didn't really understand people. And, and that's, that's fine. But that, that limits you in, in, in how far you can get. Well, fortunately, now all college students and recent grads and older folks as well can get John's wisdom on a daily basis. You need to follow him on LinkedIn so that you can also absorb the incredible posts that he puts out there into the ether and you can just feel the passion. You can hear the passion that John has for his readers and for what he does. John, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. Congratulations on this new job. And I just so appreciate you making the time to speak with us today. That was a wonderful conversation, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was a blast. And uh, yeah, I just hope readers get our readers. Oops, sorry to say readers. I hope listeners get a lot of value out of the out of the conversation we just had. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T for C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.